Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. My name is Darren Calhoun. My pronouns are he, him. And today, I am going to be on the hot seat in a way. Uh, We're starting a new series that talks about um, being speaking up and speaking out. And so this is a series that for the month of June is going to look at um, people who are activists and speaking out on various uh, topics in their own worlds. And um, I'm going to have a few folks who I have done advocacy with, and we're going to have a few conversations, especially with it being Pride Month in June and with Juneteenth happening in June. Um, We want to have those conversations. And so... Um, I know you're wondering, where is everyone? Um, But let's do that now. So first up is Kevin. Say hey. Hey, everybody. And then there's Stacy. Hey. And last but never least, there is Sarah. Hey, everyone. And uh, yeah, so I am leaving... I'm doing a grand experiment. I'm leaving the floor open to ask any and everything about my life as an activist, as a queer black man, all that stuff. And um, yeah, let's have fun with it. So um, I'll give a little bit of of, of background. Um, As you, most of you know, I'm born and raised in Chicago. Um, I am a worship leader at a church here. I have been doing racial justice and LGBTQ advocacy for a number of years. Um, I'm a survivor of a cult. I'm a survivor of um, ex-gay conversion therapy. I am, um, I'm a few things. I'm a, like I said, a photographer. I sing in a band. I do a lot of stuff. And so let's, uh, let's talk. What do you, what do you, what burning question do you have about me? It's it's hard to like figure out where to start because I feel like I know you so well. Um, I could surprise you. I and at the same time, <laughs> we all know you could surprise us. So I'll I'll start this way. What got you? What got? What started you in speaking up? for yourself. I'll that's a like that's that. a yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Um Thanks for in some ways I'm still learning to speak up for myself. Um but the first thing that I got involved with when it comes to speaking up publicly, um a church I was part of, the the one that I now consider a cult, uh that church um was doing really great work in our neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. We wanted to figure out how do we get the drug use down in our neighborhood? How do we get the shootings down in our neighborhood? Typically, if you hear about violence happening in Chicago, it's either happening near the neighborhood that that church was in or it's happening near the neighborhood that I live in now in Chicago. So on the south side or the west side, most of the crime is concentrated in two neighborhoods and that has to do with how um, people are released from jail. And you basically get released from jail, go back into your neighborhood with no access to housing, no access to education, and so forth. And so people would come out of jail and they'd be kind of stuck. So our church was just trying to figure out how to make our neighborhood better. And we learned from an organization called Community Renewal Society how to do grassroots organizing. And so we started just talking to the people in the neighborhood and figuring out what was wrong. 
We learned about um, truancy. We learned about unemployment. We learned about policing. And we found out that, to me, what felt like a bad neighborhood actually had more to do with the policies that created my neighborhood. It actually used to be a really uh, like classy neighborhood with lots of shops on the South Side um, when it was owned and lived in by, I think, Jewish and German people. And then they moved out, but, but because of redlining in Chicago, they couldn't own, uh, Black people who moved in couldn't own anything. Um, or if they did, it wasn't going to be insured by the bank. And so basically people started slumlording the neighborhoods. And that is how our ghettos got formed. And that legacy is what created the poverty, what creates the desperation, the wealth income gap. And uh, that's how our neighborhood got bad. So um, longer story shorter, we, uh, we just wanted to make our neighborhood better. And that took us on a journey that took us all the way down to, the, to uh, Springfield, Illinois, to our state capital, where we changed laws and um, we, uh, we engaged the business owners, we engaged the schools, we engaged uh, neighborhoods and mobilized people um, in partnership with organizations across the city to make major change. So it's a bittersweet part of my story because while I was like majorly wounded by that church, I also was equipped for my public speaking voice by that church. I also learned how to do sound there too and photography. <laughs> learned a lot of things. I have, I want to, I want to kind of go back a little bit to something you mentioned when you were um, spilling just different experience that you had um, specifically about conversion therapy, because I don't think a lot of people really know what that is or just in terms of just like what, why it's so harmful. Um, so I'm just curious if you can just kind of give like an overview um, because I've heard it, you know, before, but just still trying to grasp like what exactly, you know, is it? Yeah. Um, that's a really great question. Uh, conversion therapy is therapies, practices, religious beliefs that um, that suggest or present the idea that someone who is same-sex attracted or gay can change, also that someone who's uh, trans can change their sexual orientation or gender identity to being heterosexual or cisgender. Um, and the problem with that is the, the research that was behind it, um, really came more from fear and more from like trying to pin problems on a weaker or less dominant group. Um, and uh, everything from the U.S. government having a history of doing things like shock therapy treatments uh, to, um, and I'm not making this up, there was, there was one U.S. government funded uh, program where um, gay pornography would be shown on a projector because this is that long ago and while they while that was showing they would give you medication that would make you uh throw up that would make you physically ill and sick wow. but you're locked in a room where this is being shown and you don't have a bathroom you don't have access to like clean yourself or anything and so people would be subjected to gay pornography while being made to be physically ill so that they would associate being gay with that illness or that, you know, horrible feeling. And even through that, still didn't make people heterosexual. I wonder why. Yeah, 
Um, but in my case, um, and and then in more recent times, like especially through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, there were more formal programs that were more like talk therapy where uh, you were paired up with people who would tell you things like, oh, if you're a man, you need to, to lower your voice. You need to play sports. You need to have strong men in your life. Um, things like that. Uh, you have to stay away from gay people. Um, and then in more evangelical and white spaces, there were uh, entire camps and entire like away programs. To this day, there are still some out of, out of the country places that kids get abducted to and forced to try to become heterosexual by their families. Um, in my case, uh, and this is the case for many uh, POC groups, um, there's not a formal program, but the exact same tactics can happen. Um, for me, I was, first it was, um, you know, I really need to show that I want it to be saved. Um, and that meant kind of mindless obedience to the pastor. So it started with just me moving into the church for a short season, supposed to be 30 days. Um, I ended up being there for about four years. Um, it meant moving, it meant uh, cutting off my friends, all my gay friends first, but then eventually my friends and family. Um, I lived in the basement of our church and was under 24-hour supervision. Um, I eventually quit school, gave up my car, quit working, stopped doing my uh, photography business. Um, and when I still wasn't becoming straight, they asked me to move from our church basement in Chicago to an old Sunday school room in our church in Indiana. And again, all of this was in the name that if I was obedient enough, if I read the Bible enough, if I prayed enough, that I would become heterosexual. And surprise, surprise, that did not work. Um, but it was... It was seen as as noble. It was seen as, oh, you know, this is what you're supposed to do for God, how you're supposed to sacrifice for God. So when people say like, well, you know, if you really love God, you give up everything you have and take up your cross and follow me. I can honestly say I did that. Um, and I feel like God redeems part of that story. But um, in the same breath, uh, my church was really harmful to me and really harmful to the other people that followed me to my church. Um, I was the only person who was going through that particular kind of experience as far as being uh, gay and my pastor thinking that if I just prayed enough, it was going to change. But uh, but yeah, I found that even though I thought I was the only one, many churches still have this kind of stuff. And so, uh, so I, eventually I became somebody who speaks out on it. Maybe we'll get to that a little later. But uh, if you are wondering about the theology or what happens with conversion therapy, it is harmful. There's lots of research to, to show it. The American Medical Association, the psychiatric professionals, all kinds of parents organizations have come out with statements against conversion therapy. It doesn't mean you have to affirm same-sex marriage. It doesn't mean you have to affirm same-sex um, sexual intimacy. But it does mean that this particular response to homosexuality means that uh, things like the, uh, the, the changed movement that Bethel Church is doing right now are really harmful. They'll say, oh, we don't tell people that they can change, but all your testimonies are people who are once gay and no longer trans. Um, and, you know, we could probably get into a whole series about what those stories actually mean. Yeah. But uh, 
it's short. It's it's enough to say if you want to figure this out, look up the Good Fruit Project. Uh, I think .com or .org. Um, and it's a partnership between one of my organizations, Q Christian Fellowship, and the Trevor Project uh, to help us to just address that harm. So long answer, but hopefully that gives a little insight. If you don't mind, you know, I, I think it would be interesting to just touch a little bit on what you think of those stories. There are the, you know, the people that have been prayed over, you know, and they come out because I've heard those stories before too in church, even like as long as like 30 years ago, (laughs) I was (laughs) hearing these stories in church and, you know, this guy, he says, Hey, I know I've come out of the gay lifestyle as they would say that word, (laughs) you know? So I'm, I am curious you know, I know we always say we want to believe people and their stories at the same time. I'm always a skeptic in that sort of thing. So I like, what are your thoughts about a lot of those or some? Yeah. So in my advocacy, I'm very vocal that I'm against conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that I'm against someone's individual story to claim that they are who they are. Um, and I would say that for, for anyone else, like if you identify as straight, if you identify as X gay, that is between you, God, and whoever you tell. But, um, when we start presenting this to other people as if I can do it, you can do it too, or God did it for me. So God will do it for anyone. That's when we get into harm. That's when we create systems of harm. And that's where I feel like I have to speak up and against what you're doing not how you identify or what you say happened to you. Um, so some people say, well, well, can't God make someone straight? Yes. But by that same logic, shouldn't God be able to make someone gay? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like if you're straight, yes. you, there should be something that can turn you yeah. gay, right? Yeah. Um, but whatever the case, uh, and, and no uh, sexual assault, rape, those do not make people gay. Mm-hmm. Can some people have same-sex activity because of an assault? Yes. Um, those people, if they get therapy and have their trauma addressed, will they stop having same-sex sexual activity? Yes. Is that the vast majority of, of gay people? No. Um, according to Exodus International, uh, Alan Chambers, uh, who was the, the last president of that organization before it shut down, he said 99% of the people who came through that organization had a change in behavior but not a change in orientation. Interesting. So um, another study I found said about of of people who wanted on who people who had unwanted same sex attractions. Seventy five percent of them will not see a change. Twenty five percent of them could become celibate or could choose to have a mixed orientation marriage. That is a marriage where they marry somebody of a different gender, regardless of what their attractions are. Um, I have room for those. That's valid. But um, when we present that as, oh, you're now married, you're a man who's married to a woman, therefore you're heterosexual, we erase all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that people are bisexual. (laughs) You can happily, uh, you can happily be married. You can happily be attracted to a person of a different gender. Um, And that still not be what you're, 
primary attractions are, it still may not be what your temptations are. And this is the, that's the, the catch for me. Of the people who say, I am now heterosexual or I am no longer gay, I haven't met many, if any, who say, and I'm not tempted by the same gender anymore. And I think that's the crux. So many times people say, if you just stop having sex and you're not gay anymore. And it's like, no, because I didn't start being gay when I had started having sex the same way. Heterosexuals didn't start being heterosexual when they had sex. We have so much romantic attraction and and even companionship attraction that's not necessarily romantic Mm -hmm. that happens years before. And, you know, when we see the kids and we go, oh, look, little Bobby and little Sarah, they're over there. Uh, they're they're going to be a couple when they're like two and three years old. Mm-hmm. No one says you're too young to know their, their sexual orientation then. Yeah. <laughs> but when gay people are saying, yeah, as when I was three or when I was 12, I knew that I was not straight. They're like, oh, no, you need to wait until you're adult. You're too young to know that. So all that to say is, one, there's lots of reasons why human sexuality is, is not, you know, always the same or doesn't spell out the same thing. But here's the kicker. I might mess with some people on this one. If you look at sexual orientation or attraction on a spectrum, then most people are neither 100% straight or 100% gay. Most people are somewhere in the middle, and it doesn't mean you're exactly at the 50-50 spot because that's not how anything really works. But it's to say that some of us have experienced attractions that aren't completely whatever we identify with. So was there a point in my life where I felt like, oh, there's a one, there is one woman who I feel like I could marry and spend a life with and all that? Yes. Is that my primary attraction? No. Is that my temptation? Not at all. <laughs> um, and the same thing happens, but because I fall outside of the heterosexual norm, um, I've had chances to think deeply about that. But most heterosexual people have never thought about what their attractions are, what that means, what they feel outside of the, uh, the assumption that they are just a heterosexual person. They don't even have a name for it, typically. They say, I'm just a person. I just, I'm just normal. Um, and so what, I, what, what you sometimes see is that when people start doing this work, when people start making room for others, they realize they've had attractions or they've had crushes or they've had um, like romantic but not se- sexual connections with people. They're like, wait, is that straight? I thought that was just my best friend. Like, right. Yeah. So so there's a lot, right? There's a there's a lot and it's okay, but um dominant culture just like whiteness if you're mixed, you don't get mixed as oh well you're you're mostly white. Like unless you just look white and you can't tell that there's anything else, people if they can tell that there's anything else about you, you're not white anymore. And in the same way if they if they can tell there's anything else about you as a man that is intimate, explore, questioned, then all of a sudden you're not heterosexual anymore. But most of my gay friends who have children had children by traditional means with someone of a different gender. And no one accuses them of secretly being straight. But that's the way power dynamics work, right? Mm-hmm. Like you make, you make the ideal protected and everyone who falls outside of that gets dismissed. And so people have to protect their heterosexuality, but you don't have to protect your identity as being gay. It's like, nobody's going to accuse you of secretly being bi. 
Yeah. I think, so yeah, there's there's a lot in there. Go ahead. I think some of that pertains to just our, I don't know if it's an old thought or it's just that generalized like default that you're either a boy or a girl or you're straight or you're not or you know what I mean? Like there's for so long, it's just been this like thinking of, you know, it's this or that. There's no right, no room for in between. And I think we're finally like starting to accept like the in between and the uh, not this and not that. You know what I mean? Like there's it's all encompassing and and some for those that are like non-binary or, you know, gender fluid or asexual or whatever. And I'm still learning all the terms. So forgive me if I you're, and you're doing say great. Something wrong. But you know, it's I think for a lot of us, at least I don't know. I don't want to say my generation because that just I think maybe the generation before me, let me say that it has been so, you know, like strict essentially about it. And there was no room for anything else. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's so important. Um, Cause another thing that's really a, a challenge is, uh, gay men especially fall into some of the same like binary demands, um, especially when it comes to our, our trans siblings. Um, we don't make room for the fact that some people aren't male or female. Some people right. will switch back and forth. Some people, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of otherness. Um, and so we don't make room for bi people as gay men for some reason, and we don't make much room for trans people um, as gay cisgender men. And I'm like, yeah, we have work to do too. Just just because we're oppressed in some ways doesn't mean we we can't also inherit and and model the behaviors of our oppressors. So yeah, there's a lot of work to do. It's a wide wide world, and something I've uh, started working on, I guess, in the last few years is really truly understanding the actual science that goes behind all of it. Because, you know, they always say, well, it's biology. You know, there's male and female and that's it. Either you have a penis or you have a vagina, period. And God said, we will make them male and female. And like, there's there's a lot of rhetoric around it that is honestly just, uh, just wrong and incorrect, right? Yeah. It's wrong readings of the Bible. It's wrong translations of the Bible. It's It's specific political movements that have said, hey, no, we have to push this agenda, period. Um, and so, so I've, I've tried to start educating myself and I'm starting to get to a point where I can educate, uh, my family. And I think I've talked about that before, but my, you know, like my parents and my sisters and the people around me, um, but how do you, how do you respond? And, and if this is, if this is too, too deep, too personal, I, I am sorry. Um, and don't answer it. But how do you respond when when somebody online or somebody uh, just anywhere will push back against something that you're advocating for? Um, and I want to ask, will will push back against your uh, 
against you, you as a person, or against uh, a cause that you're you're advocating for? How? What's the thinking? What's your thinking in that moment when somebody says, "Well, actually," um, <laughs> how do you, how do you? Yes, respond? well, actually. <laughs> Um, I mean, you, you, some of you get to see some of this in the, in the Facebook groups we're in together. Um, but, you know, I, I encountered it in all kinds of places, including at speaking events. One time I spent, I had a whole like one hour keynote and was telling all about my traumatic experiences with church and trying to change my sexual orientation. And at the very end, this guy comes up uh, at the meet and greet table and the first thing out of his mouth is, you know, the Holy Spirit can really change things. <laughs> and he proceeded to give me a, a very underhanded, charismatic presentation of how God changes things. And it because it wasn't about sitting and talking, it was about the power of God. And I was like, oh yeah, because I, I don't talk much about the charismatic part of my church experience. But uh, yeah, no, sir. I'm very familiar with praying, praying and fasting, and crying in the floor, casting out demons, laying on of hands, all of that. Um, but but to go back to your question, Kevin, I think the the core for me is realizing that one, some people just care, and out of their care, they do what they know to do. And so sometimes that looks like, oh, well, I need to get you saved out of that lifestyle to quote and trigger myself in the process because they, they do care about you. They like you as a person, but the only way they know how to like you as a person is through this lens of if you became straight, you'd be acceptable to God and you could mm-hmm. go to heaven. And so they want you to be that because they do like you, um, but they don't know how to do it in a way that's other than what they've been programmed and taught and, and the dogma that they received from others. Um, and then on, on another hand, sometimes people are afraid. Uh, some people only know what they know and everything outside of that kind of triggers some really deep fears and uncertainties. Um, just, uh, you know, from everything from what does the act afterlife look like? What does judgment look like? Um, to what do two, what do two people of the same sex do in a bed together? Like, a lot of the anti-gay stuff I hear is actually a fear about two men having sex together. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. And gross. Can I just <laughs> can I just point like first off, we've got the internet. Ooh, and hi. so you can you can look these things up. But also <laughs> I like Was was that a plug for porn? I'm not sure what just happened. <laughs> I'm I'm just saying you people can do their own dang research. Um, but also, I, mean, I don't want to know what anybody. We can be doing. sex positive. I don't want to know what anybody's doing in the bedroom at all. And so, like, then there's people that just will go up to random people on the street and be like, "Uh, excuse me, how do you two have sex?" And I'm like, "What? Ew! Stop it! That's I." I don't know. Maybe that's just my sex um, positivity coming out. I don't. Know. I I did. I I was at a. I was part of a church, and there was a there was a couple that we sat next together next to each other uh, all the time at church. And one day they invited me over for dinner, which at church is a normal thing. And I go over, and we sit down to start the meal. We say a prayer, and. Right after they finished handing me chicken, they said, you know, we really support gay people. It's just anal sex we we have a disagreement with. 
But that's not a. Okay. What? That's... I was getting ready to go in like a whole, maybe this is a whole nother different top. This is a whole different I... podcast. If you want to have that rant, go ahead because I was floored. <laughs> that is not a, like, just reserved for, you know, same sex couples. Oh like, my God. Yes. We're real sex positive here. Right. Okay. But... So that's right up there with asking a couple, I think, when are you going to have a baby? Because. You're basically asking them, like, are you having sex often enough to pr- mm-hmm. reproduce? You know, like, and you know, and not even not even asking if they want kids because right, clearly yeah. Yeah, they're a so couple and they and they should be producing mm-hmm. children, and you should be entitled to know that, right? <laughs> no, it, that's not how yeah. that works. Um, but yeah, it it's people. People don't realize that some of their their genuine curiosity is misplaced because uh, again, the internet is free. The internet is free, and you can you can research, and it does. You don't have to look up gay porn to understand gay sex. There are lots of educational resources that exist. Um, That's but the what I but meant. the other it's okay to look it up. <laughs> it's okay to be curious. Yes, it actually it like, actually is, and if and. Interestingly enough, in just the, the frank and, and present conversations I'm having, I actually find a lot of heterosexual women um, are more inclined to watch gay pornography because, because it doesn't have the objectification of women. Mm. Like, it's, it's more passionate. Like, there's more, like, mutuality. And, um, again, I just I have conversations with everybody about everything who, who wants to talk. Uh, but it it's an interesting thing that porn, like for example, uh, I didn't know we were going to get into porn. But uh, I'm not sure porn I'm that's <laughs> made by lesbian women for lesbian women looks nothing like lesbian, quote unquote, lesbian porn made by men for the consumption of men. Um, Bingo, right there. Yeah. And uh, we're not even going to get into mm-hmm. what it looks like to have. Uh, trans people in porn when it's made by trans people for humans as opposed to by men who are objectifying trans people Mm. into some kind of freakish other. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that is another part of porn often shows us what the dark undersides of our thoughts are and Mm. what sells in porn is the the taboo thing that we won't say. And so even um, statistically, like the countries that have the, the countries and parts of our country that have the strongest uh, moral objections to homosexuality have the highest searches for, for gay porn. Um, like there's this, there, so I think Utah maybe like is one of the highest in the in the United States uh, in searches for gay porn. Or but Utah are like, no way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but there's uh, there's this interesting relationship with shame um and this goes right back into some of the ways we've been taught to do evangelism like mm. this goes right back into some of the ways we've been taught to think about our bodies i think we've said yeah. it before how women get told their bodies are horrible they're going to trip up men they're going to mm-hmm. cause preachers to fall and they just by existing women are are some kind of trap for men and I think our ideas about men being a certain thing get disrupted when we think about two men being with each other. It's mm-hmm. like, there's no power difference there. There's, you know, like people have some weird constructs 
And because they don't work through that, because they don't have real conversations about it, it sits in their heads and it's just this abstract idea. And so when you say, so when, for example, when a child says, you know, a prepubescent child says, I'm gay, people are thinking about gay sex. But that's not all that there is to sexual orientation. Heterosexual kids who say I have a crush aren't thinking about sex. Right. And in the same way, gay kids who say they're gay aren't actually talking about sex. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we've got all these shame narratives and we've got all this phobia around the conversation of sex, sexuality, romance, attraction, um, desire that we, you know, we, we really project our fears onto people. So I try to address people's fears. I try to help people process um, what they're really asking. Um, for example, well, how do you just throw out the Bible and, and decide to be gay? And it was like, well, who, who told you anyone threw out the Bible to decide to be gay? Mm-hmm. Who told you anyone threw out the Bible to decide if they're going to be affirming or to be celibate? Like, there's a whole lot that you're assuming. And because you think you're right, or because you, you have just never talked to anyone about it, you approach it in a way that can be really harmful. So it's okay to be curious. Like, like you said, it's okay to ask questions. But we got to get to the part where we're listening to real people, not listening to our favorite preacher talk on a platform who doesn't know anyone, at least not publicly, who doesn't know anyone who's gay. Because it's a whole nother episode for us to talk about Republican anti-gay lawmakers who all get found out to be gay later. But that's a conversation about shame, and we'll do that a different podcast. <laughs> that's some, with some other series. <laughs> right. It's just so interesting, like, just the conversation, just, just about, like, sex in general and how much shame it brings. And if we would have these conversations earlier about just entirely of just, like you said, sex, sexual orientation, just all of it removing some of that shame and some of that curiosity or maybe allowing people to be more curious like what the, i'm just imagining like what that does for people like, yeah and and there's a there's a, a a racial intersection here that i'm thinking about now too um because that same awkward inappropriate curiosity about uh same sex couples and 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 male same sex sexuality is similar to what you see when people say, oh, can I touch your hair when they're talking to black people? Or do you even tan? Or I have locks and you wouldn't believe how often I get the question, do you even wash your hair? It's just like, yes, I wash my hair just like everyone else. But you have a lot of assumptions and presumptions. Or maybe you met one person ever who said, oh, I don't wash my hair. No, they don't speak for all people with locks. They don't speak for all black people. <laughs> they don't speak for um, those singular stories. Don't speak for all of any group. Um, and so it's a it's a it's another real fun and difficult intersection when you intersect being a person of color, um, specifically black, with being um, gay or queer, uh, because white gays are really oppressive in that they experience marginalization and and oppression, but they think that because they've experienced that one particular piece, that they get it, that they get the whole picture. And so they, they 
pretty much show up as the oppressors of the gay community, not necessarily by overt intention, but by their music, the music by their favorite artists being the only artists we can listen to in the clubs, or by the, the ad campaigns for gay people pretty much only featuring them. And maybe a token, and maybe like, like one ambiguously person of color kind of thing. Um, but you, you have all these dynamics where like the gay neighborhoods uh, are often catered to which rich white men. Um, even marriage equality, that was funded by affluent white men. And it was not the priority of people of color. And it's not because we were, we were more homophobic. No, it was because we had to do things like worry about if we were going to survive a police um, stop. We had to worry about if we were going to be kicked out of our homes. We don't, we don't have the wealth to just be like, oh, you're not going to treat me right. I'll move. Um, we have a lot more to survive. Um, but, uh, but yeah, these tensions exist because it's just like, does marriage equality benefit everyone? Yes. Is it, as a pr- is it the same priority for everyone? Definitely not. Um, and that intersection is another piece of, we got a lot of work to do. Um, and we have a lot of stories to listen to. Um, but, uh, but yeah. So I want to uh, flip the script a little bit. And uh, I think this first one I'll ask generally and you all can respond. Um, But I'm curious um, if you didn't always, if you didn't always uh, support uh, gay people, which is not the same as if whether or not you support same-sex marriage, but if you didn't always support the idea of someone being gay and going to heaven, um, what changed that for you or what caused you to question that belief? I'll, I'll start. For me, it was somebody that, so I grew up uh, uh, evangelical Christian, Southern Baptist, Assemblies of God, right? Very, very conservative. And for me, it was when uh, somebody that I loved and respected and I could point to and say, that person is a Christian and they love God and they are doing great work. And um, they are, you know, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. They've got the fruits of the spirit. They've got like any checklist you could come up with. They fulfilled it. Um, and it was when this person came out as, as queer that I was like, wait a second. Like, like there was a short circuit in my brain where on the one hand, they, I know that they're a great Christian, but on the other hand, um, all of a sudden I have to reconcile them being a great Christian with them being queer. And it just didn't make sense. And I was probably probably 15 or 16 when that happened. And it mm. got me thinking about, it, it took years of just percolating, of, you know, just thinking about it before. Was, that, was the person who came out near your age or were they older or younger? They were, they were much older. Okay. They were much older. And it was. It wasn't just, it wasn't that they were single and came out. They were married. They had a family and they, and they said, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to put all of this behind me 
because this is um, like, this is an important, this is part of who I am. This is somebody that I've denied for years. And like I said, it wasn't for years after that, that, you know, I, I didn't really start to wrestle with it because I always came back to, well, but, but the Bible says X, Y, Z, the Bible says that, you know, Romans one and, and first Corinthians and Ephesians and Leviticus, and just, you know, kind of, kind of dismantling all this. And then it was, it was a few years ago, probably three or four years ago that somebody uh, that actually the three of us, the four of us know, um, challenged me in a public post said, why don't you go look at the words that are translated as homosexual in your Bible? Go look, like there's a thousand different, uh, uh, you know, original language readers. There's a thousand different translators. Go to your Bible, pull it up online, find the word homosexual. It's going to appear four times in your Bible. Look at the root word behind that. And then tell me what that says. And I was like, this is ridiculous. It's going to say gay men and it's going to say homosexual. And then the first one was actually bestiality. And I'm like, wait a second, that, that doesn't talk about <laughs> people at all. And the second one was, uh, what was it? It was pornea. It was what we, we translate as pornography. And generally speaking, it was about idolatry. And I'm like, wait a second. Then the third one was prostitution. And the fourth one was pedophilia. And I'm like, wait a second. There's actual words for all of these things. Like, like these, are, these aren't just words that we got to make up, like baptism. There's actual words for these. And then that actually, I started <laughs> studying the, the context behind it. I started actually studying the Bible because of it. And... Um, I'm not going to lie, I became affirming of women in leadership before I, I became affirming of, of queer folks. But that's, that's my, that's, that is my affirmation journey. That's what's up. And, and it, the fact that you mentioned at the end there um, that you became affirming of women in leadership, uh, statistically speaking, that is the primary way that people, it's the it's the slippery slope, if you will, of how people begin to question their theology about same-sex relationships. Um, and I think it's a good slippery slope, uh, but it's, I don't believe in slippery slopes, but it is, once you begin to question what the Bible or what we've been taught that the Bible says about gender, it leads you to other questions about what is prohibited according to gender. Um, Versus what's endorsed. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Especially that uh, it was someone older, someone that you looked up to, someone that you had held in high esteem. Um, I think people of significant relationship has a lot to do with this. Because you can, you can hear right off the bat when someone's talking about an abstract idea versus when they're talking about a person that they know and they love. Um, it, it shows every time, even if we're talking about policy in the church, it shows you can divide the room in two based on if they know someone and love someone who is queer versus if they're only thinking about an idea of what, uh, what being LGBTQ is. My first thought about it. So growing up, I had an aunt and an uncle, um, my dad's siblings, uh, 
were gay. And it was interesting because we always, my cousins and I, we always had this like secretive little whisper, you know, about, oh, he must be gay type of thing. Well, you know, he never, that I know of, ever came out to our family. Mm-hmm. Never. Yeah. He, you know, and it was interesting because he worked in the church all his life. He was mm-hmm. a church musician. I mean, he was a doctor of music, you know, and that was his thing. And, but for whatever reason, I don't, like, we don't really even know his whole story. He lived in a state far away. We never visited and he remained single his whole life. So it was one of those things where we just, you know, I don't know. We talked about him, but never knew his story. Mm -hmm. And then an aunt, uh, my dad's sister, she had been married to a guy's men, males, um, twice, I think. And after going through divorces, then, um, had a female partner for a good long time. Um, so that, you know, is always, Like I always knew that, and she also worked in a church too. So it was like, you know, they're always a part of the church because we grew up in a real like evangelical fundamental, you know, upbringing. And uh, so, but the interesting thing that my own family was like, well, they belong to churches that aren't evangelical and we don't agree with their churches and, you know, they're more liberal than us because apparently their churches are accepting of their lifestyle. And that was always the discussion amongst our family was that it was, you know, a lifestyle and a choice and they choose to be like this. So there's that going on. And you you know what then, they meant when they were saying lifestyle? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and for them, it was sin. That's what it meant <laughs> to our family anyway, is that the lifestyle is sin. Yes. Capital S-I-N. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fast forward, you know, a couple of decades, I'm older. Um, and going at the beginning of my deconstruction, um, when I'm questioning just everything, basically, I... Um, that was one of the, uh, besides um, the rapture not being a thing, <laughs> that was one <laughs> of my next things of like deconstructing. Yes. The rapture got thrown <laughs> under the bus in well, this episode. Yeah, it did. But, you know, it's because it was just one of those things. You start questioning and then you're like, okay, so because I'd been in, I'd served in churches where there were gay people and um, and gay people allowed to serve also because I worked in the ELCA. And so, you know, that was, they were accepting and just beginning to affirm and each church was able to decide if they were affirming and so forth. So, but it was at that point too, and this was before I started deconstruction that I got to know more LGBTQ people 
and was starting to develop like relationships with them. And so I think that also was kind of key too. And my whole, in my just deconstruction of things. And I know the rapture is just a silly starting point for me. It's a legitimate starting point. It's a legitimate starting point. It is. But what it took me through was the whole aspect of love. Mm. And that I think was the key thing for me of deconstructing hell and God's love. And can you say more about love? Like what that, what that meant? So for me, like, and now it seems silly, not silly, but just kind of odd, but I can still, I can still talk about the Bible (laughs) and about Jesus and God, because like, because I'm sure I'm speaking to a lot of Christians at this point, but if we talk so much about God being love and Jesus being love and, and how we are as humans created in God's image, if everyone is created in God's image, that means that all people including LGBTQ are created in God's image, right? You preaching a good sermon right now. Right. (laughs) So, you know, that whole thing was really big for me. And like, like I said, like losing hell was also a part of that because if God loves us and creates us in his image, why the hell would he send us to hell? You know, I like that question. So, and I mean, that can be a whole nother discussion for another time, but that was essentially, you know, my deconstruction of loving everybody, embracing everybody for who they are and accepting them for where they're at, who they are and, you know, not putting a label of like, oh, that's your sin type of thing Mm -hmm. on it. You know what I mean? Because that, that is, that's that whole lifestyle. You're choosing to live in sin and it's not, it's not a lifestyle and it's not sin. And yeah. And I think also agree with what Kevin said about the different, and I'm not scholarly at all, biblically, especially because so, but that also was one of my you know, initially I could push back on that because I had friends that were more liberal than I was previously. And so I did have people saying, well, it doesn't really mean homosexual. And I was like, but it says this clearly in God's word. And it's not (laughs) clear in God's word. Like you think it is. It's actually not. (laughs) Yeah. So that, that was huge for me. And I think just now where I'm at, it's like people are people. Just, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I always say the church was the original. Don't ask, don't tell way before Bill Clinton mm. signed it into law regarding the military. We also forget that he was a part of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, right. Can leave Bill there. <laughs> <laughs> he did not sleep with that woman. <laughs> no sexual relations with that woman. He didn't uh, have intercourse. Oh, intercourse. Yeah. He didn't have that, P and V intercourse. Right. That's that's what we're talking about. It is so interesting, just as an aside, how 
how differently <laughs> we just we define what sex is based right? on what's involved and what's not involved. And that there's some people who say lesbians aren't having sex because there's no penis involved. So, th- yeah, that's a whole nother discussion, Darren, because of what I grew up being taught mm-hmm. about sex. Like, so when that whole Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky scandal happened, I had to really, like, figure things out in my own head because I was like, well, they're not having sex because of what I was taught. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until a couple of years ago on another group we were discussing it. And I was like, what? It was like that WTF moment that you have of like, oh, my God, <laughs> it is sex. Like, that, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> I know I'm old and I'm like learning all these new things. And I just I just l- you- recently learned that. Mormons have this thing called soaking. Has anyone heard of this? Yes. If there are any Mormons listening, I have some questions. <laughs> we we need a guest Mormon on the we show. We need a guest. <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. So soaking is the idea that sex specifically is the thrusting. And so if a person, if a if a person who possesses a penis is inserted into a person who possesses a vagina, but they do not thrust, then you have not had sex and you're still a virgin. This is what legalism does to us. Mm-hmm. Like high key. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Fundamentalism pretty, at its I'm best. I'm pretty sure my wife would disagree with that. I just... <laughs> Well, testify. I'm just trying to figure out how that happens without going first. Like, okay. I don't know, but I hear Kegel exercises are great. So, um... (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely an E for explicit podcast. Um, Yeah. I kind of cut you off, Stacey. Did you did you have other thoughts? No, I'm 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 good. I think Sarah's about to share a story with us. Yeah, I have I have a fun I have a funny story. Yes. Um, not funny story, but interesting interesting story that just makes so much sense, full circle. But so I, you know, growing up in very conservative church theology, I you know believed basically you know same thing that you guys are all saying that it was a sin. I've said lifestyle before I've repeated all the Christianese around that possible. Um, and, but I just, it just was, it, it was what I was told. I was just kind of repeating back what I was told with no thought about it, but where it broke down for me was my first love And this was like fifth or sixth grade. And we were in a relationship, you know, at that age, what really is a relationship, but you know, we were first love. That was boo. Yes, we did. And that was, that was boo. Yes, boo. (laughs) That was boo. Shout out to boo, wherever you are in the world. (laughs) I hope he hears this because, (laughs) 
Um, so, you know, we broke up and a couple years passed and I'm going to say it was like senior year in high school at this point. And like, I just realized I was just still in love, like just still just like, and I'm, I had it in my mission. I'm going to get my man. I'm going to get him. Like I am mm. going to get him. Name it and, and claim it. I could not figure out, I mean, I was writing letters and sticking it in his locker, putting perfume on it so he can smell me. Like, Ooh. I was going out of my way to pass yes, my hair locker. Yes. I was trying to project get my man. And <laughs> come to find out, like, after, like, just, like, not understanding, because it, prior times, like, it was one of those things where, like, I might have had, a, you know, been in a relationship at the time and... You know, he was in a relationship, but we just never synced up. So I'm thinking like, all right, he's he's not really answering me. He's kind of being awkward. I'm not really sure. Like, he's just not acting. And we had a really good friendship. He's not acting the way that he normally would. And so finally, like, we meet up and we just kind of talk about it. And I'm spilling my heart out. And then he just, you know, he shares to me that he wants to explore, you know, his, his attraction to men. And that that's kind of was the way you know because he was still kind of nervous and um you know that he loved me but you know he wanted to that's just the direction that he wanted to go and I just remember being like so <laughs> like, what that got to do with me <laughs> <laughs> me you know and not which is interesting now like <laughs> But I'm like completely okay with the idea of you know being bisexual and so but it was it was just like that was the moment that I was like it, you know he we had Christian you know parents and went to church but so there was like I think a level of like fear and shame and with me like I I just I was like why I kept questioning like why is this wrong like why can't this just be okay and not really just again not really understanding how any of it works because in my mind I thought either you know you like the same gender or you like a different gender and there's no in between um but it, it really that was like my moment for me that I really started struggling with hearing these messages and then feeling like you know because I, I I can think back to like in Disney movies being like well I like the Disney princesses more than I liked the princes themselves. So just like not understanding why like any of this was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I sat with that for like years, just like years of just like feeling like, okay, this is what the church is telling me that this is sin, but I don't feel like it is. And then having more people around me come out, people that I love, and just really struggling with, like, why can't this be okay? And I think it, 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 there was a lot of anger that I had, too, which is really just being like, God, like, why, why is this not okay? And um, it wasn't until, I'd say, like, the last, like, year or so, like, just getting involved in ministry, but also just seeing the idea of, like, deconstructing and just you know, what you mentioned, Kevin, about different, you know, the meanings of the words in the Bible and not knowing that. And again, being more upset of like, why, why isn't this? So we're basically being lied to is what I just, what I kind of felt like. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's kind of been like a, been like a journey, but now like I feel 
I feel like just a sense of, I've read something the other day that really just like made me just feel really, really proud. And it was like, um, when you deconstruct or when you go through that process, you're able to love people without an agenda. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. yes. Like I, I just, I finally feel like now, like I can just love people. And it's like that, this weight lifted off of being able not to, to feel like I have to change someone or convince someone or yeah. struggle with yeah. the idea of like, is this sin? Why do I, why do I accept it? I mean, I used to feel guilty, like the, the same, the same boo. Um, when he finally was just like full embracing and like, we, we would go out, we would go shopping together and I would feel like, oh my God, like, am I not supposed to like associate? Like it was just so much like shame that I'm just like, this is just so unnecessary that you can't just see people for who they were mm-hmm. or who mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really important. I appreciate you sharing that. And Boothang is doing well. Shout out to Boothang. Yes, Boothang. <laughs> hey, hey Boothang. Hey. That's wild. Um, I, 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 I think I can answer my own question too, because um, like, like all of us, I grew up he- repeating, or at least assuming what I had heard vaguely, because I didn't, I didn't grow up in a in a very preachy church like my first church was catholic and like the the strongest negative message i heard was like don't gossip um everything else was just like you know we're good people we love god be good um and so it wasn't until it wasn't until college yeah my freshman year college when i um like I, I, I had an internalized idea that just came from culture that being gay wasn't right. But my earliest rememberings of like crushes and being fixated on on certain guys, like in my class or something, um, that was when puberty hit. But um, it was in college that I, uh, a roommate was trying to blackmail me because he 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 found something that suggested that I was gay on my computer. <clears throat> porn um and <laughs> what was he looking <laughs> that part right that's a that's uh-huh. a that's a whole question to be answered but he tried to blackmail me along with some of the guys from the football team and it was just like i don't need to hide like the people who love me love me and so i came out but um that was also when I like got the most direct. Well, God doesn't want you to be gay, and and that's the enemy trying to trying to thwart the plan of God in your life. And God wants you to have children, and and like all these very specific projections. Um, but I remember, I remember going back and forth with this idea even before the ex-gay stuff, because all that was was during college. Uh, but even before that, I'd, I'd go to our youth retreats, and when we're writing our little intentions on the bar, in, on the paper, and burning those in the bowls for it to go up as a prayer to God, and when we're you know New Year's Eve making our promises about how we're going to do a be a great year, mine all were centered quietly and privately on me not having this struggle, not having these feelings, mm. um, and then when I, it just felt like nothing was changing and I was being threatened, I came out and just said, okay, I'm just going to embrace it. Um, but then a year after that, I had this 
ex-gay, born-again type experience. Um, and that was when even more people were like, well, the Bible says this. And that was actually the first time that I read the Bible on my own, other than to find like a, a feel-good quote out of like Psalms or something. Um, the first time I really like had a Bible study was to see what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Um, which side note, it's really interesting. Most of us have talked about the, the, the language translation and there's going to be a growing conversation because there's a, there's a documentary uh, called 1946 that is in production. My friend Kathy Baldock is, is working on that. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, she documents how the first translation that happened in 1946 that included the word homosexuality, uh, the translators... Um, just made an, an objective choice to put that in. Um, a young seminary student caught that and challenged it. And a year later, they changed their official translation. But by that time, there were already other translations that were made from the work of that previous scholarly group. And all the translations, all the English translations that say homosexual or homosexuality came from that objective error that the translator said was wrong. So, um, so you know, it's it was so interesting to like try to be digging in and feeling all these conflicted feelings. But the thing that, that kept bringing me back around was love. Like the very first, the very first time I experienced what I felt like was unconditional love, like the, the love that, that God models for us and that no matter what we are we're loved by God, where God even says, you know, you were, when you were, uh, you were in filthy rags and, you know, I cleaned you up and made you my own, that, that descriptive kind of love. Um, I experienced that in a relationship with a guy I'd been dating. Um, we were in a, this is about to be a messy story. We were in an intimate act and in, during that act, we had been out to dinner that night and we had a great dinner at IHOP and came home and we were being intimate. And in the midst of us being intimate, I threw up all over both of us. <laughs> and mortified, horrified. And it's in his bed and I'm like, oh my God. And he gets up and like, cleans me up, cleans the bed up, and, like, holds me. And I'm like, I'm filthy. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm horrible. How could you be loving to me in this moment? And I appreciated it. But it was years later, while I was trying not to be gay anymore, and I was, like, trying to understand God's love, God brings that moment back to my remembrance. And it's... And God was just like, yeah, that's that's how I love you. Like, there's nothing you could do. There's no grossness, no nastiness that could ever be true where I'd stop loving you. And I promise you, it would be another 10 years before I would learn to accept the way God showed me love in that moment. Um, but but yeah, like I was I was constantly wrestling with these direct encounters of God teaching me what love is, what grace is, what forgiveness is, I would constantly be fighting God's direct revelation in my life Mm. to try to justify what people kept telling me was right and true and just and good. Um, 
And at some point, uh, after increasing efforts to do what people said I should be doing, to do what my pastor said I should be doing, um, after I'd given up, again, literally everything to do what people said God wanted me to do, God was just still showing up like, I love you. Like, there's nothing you can do to, to make me stop loving you. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more or less. Um, like, I was, I, I felt completely worthless. Um, and uh, God just kept reminding me of love. And, and I have several stories of God showing up in intimate situations and being like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I love you. Like, I, I still love you. I'm here. I didn't abandon you, even though they said you, when you're sinning, your prayers can't be heard. And God's like, hi, here I am. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> still love you. Still know you. Still look like me. Um, and so it was just this immutable image and likeness of God that really led me to question the institutional church part of this. Um, because over and over again, the institutional church has told me things that don't line up to what I read in scripture, don't line up to what God has been doing in me and how God's spirit has been working through me. Um, and I'm just finding more and more and more that at the end of the day, I indeed will be accountable to God, but God's telling me a much better story than so many churches have told me. Um, God is so much more consistent than the way people and their opinions and their beliefs have been. Um, and it, it just seems like it's better for me to trust God in the same way that Abraham was able to trust God without a pastor, without a church, without a scripture book. Abraham followed God and believed God and didn't have most of the markings of what we would now um, categorize as the institutional church. And it's not to say I'm against the institutional church. I, I work day and night to make the church better. But the, the at the end of the day, I... I am a vocal advocate because I believe that um, that God's redeeming the church too. In the same way that people try to like set me off on the wrong path and try to change me into their image and likeness, um, that that didn't work. And in the same way that people try to like ruin the church by changing it into their image and likeness, I think that that Christ is still making something good and something better, um, but it's not going to look like what we all expect. Um, I don't look like what the people who said, I don't look like what the people said I was going to hell expected me as a gay Christian to look like, and I don't look like um, what my, even, even my own ideas of what a gay Christian would look like or live like. So um, all that to say, uh, I really do just hear this theme of love. I hear this theme of relationship. Um, and in the same way God pursued a relationship with me, I think God's pursuing relationship with all of us. Um, and that uh, if we follow that, that we really will see love win. We really will see God who is love uh, revealed everywhere. Um, so... So yeah, hopefully, hopefully we're following love more than we are following our desire to be right. It's a word right there. I find that's, yep. I think that's really important too. And I see as more youth 
tend to feel comfortable in coming out and expressing themselves more. A lot of the parents um, who were or are in those evangelical fundamental belief systems, when they see their kids come out, I feel like they take either the extreme route of like disowning their kid or they at that point finally are able to work through accepting and becoming the mama and papa bears as they're called, you know, and shout out to the mama and papa bears being accepting of their kids and other LGBTQ. And I find that so important because you know, I hate to talk about it, but it needs to be talked about the suicide rate mm-hmm. among LGBTQ LGBTQ kids, especially the trans kids. You know, we have got to do a better job. And as parents, like, how can you disown your own children for because of how these kids like you know, you say you're attracted to guys or you're attracted to females or whatever, whatever it is. And so your belief tells you this is wrong. So you child, you are wrong and you were not going to be accepting of you. And if you decide to get married to whomever in the future, we're not going to stand by you and Mm -hmm. we're not going to come to your wedding because if we came to your wedding, we're disowning or we're showing that we approve of this lifestyle once again. Mm -hmm. So I feel like if we can continue to raise the awareness of how harmful that whole mentality is of being right, your religion is right over God being love and that we just need to love our children as they are and whoever they are and raise them up to be decent, loving humans also, and not worry so much about, you know, everything else. I don't know. I kind of got off track a little bit there, but I feel like it's disheartening to see, but it's also encouraging that so many parents have walked through that and come out on the other side of being affirming for their children. And we need more of that. We need definitely more of that. Yeah. You can literally save a trans kid's life by using the right pronouns for them, using Mm -hmm. their pronouns that they tell you what their pronouns are. You can save their life. You reduce their likelihood to commit and complete suicide simply by using their name and pronouns that they tell you they'd like to use. That doesn't mean your theology has to be something. That means you have to perform a same-sex wedding. It just means you love them and accept yeah. them. You know, it, you, uh, uh, you talked about kids being disowned. 40% of youth... Um, are LGBTQ. That's a disproportionate number of youth because adults, parents, families have thrown away their kids simply for not being heterosexual or cisgender. Like, if all we did was love our kids, 
Don't have to change your theology. Don't have to perform a wedding. If you just love your kid, you literally change the whole narrative. Yeah. So I appreciate you naming that. Yep. It's funny, we're all silent, like this is live or something. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe we should mention um, the Trevor Project and link their website. Um, And also uh, Susan Contrell's uh, website as well. Um, Do you mind sharing those resources? Yeah. Let's I can't remember Susan's. What is it? Um and then I guess to go. Yeah. So yeah, Trevorproject.org is am I saying that right? They have the information. Trevorproject.org, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, um I think I'm Facebook I friends with Susan Trevor too. Yeah, and goodfruitproject.com is the one that I was mentioned as the partnership. And my internet is super duper slow right now. I see if I can pull up Susan's info. Freed Hearts. Yeah. Freedhearts.org. Freedhearts.org. Yep. Yay for the same time. It's like there's sudden a uh, sudden spike in hits too. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, I didn't know she had a uh, a TED talk. Yay. Mm-hmm. We have literally stood in a in a ballroom and cried together listening to stories. Aww. And like the whole, you know, like the 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 whole parent and like queer child thing that's unsaid but you're like and I my mom is great she is my number one fan um but you know she's she's an introvert so she's not traveling around the country with me at all these events and things that I go to but um yeah the the parents who show up oh gosh it is so it's so important and many of them are kind of acting as surrogates because they um, didn't do great with their child or their kids. Um, Linda Robertson and, and Rob Robertson, uh, same thing. They, they share their story um, of losing one of their children who um, is, uh, was gay. And um, they came to the conclusion just, just because they breathe is why we love our kids. Mm. Because, anything, because they breathe. Yeah. But yeah. So, uh, Stacey, drop those uh, those resources if people want to sure. learn more. So, if you're wanting to learn more about what we spoke about tonight with LGBTQ, um, if your say your child has come out to you, or you think they might be coming out to you, or um, you are also looking at reasons why it's important to love the LGBTQ community people. 
look up trevorproject.org and uh, susancontrollsfreedhearts.org, especially for parents. Another great resource is PFLAG as well for more information, especially for parents of LGBTQ youth. Um, correction. Oh, sorry. It's the trevorproject.org. I, I remembered it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I did too. All right. So, and also, um, I'm part of an organization called Q Christian Fellowship, where we are creating communities that um, are about radical and radical acceptance. And so, there's a diversity of theological thought, and um, we'll probably unpack that more in, the, in a later episode. But uh, if you affirm same-sex marriage or not, if you um, are in a church that is affirming or not, or you know, more traditional, if you believe in celibacy. We have a community that is about all of these wonderful, beautiful, diverse people who are the LGBTQ community, their allies and church leaders. Um, so drop over to Q Christian Fellowship um, and uh, check out what's happening. Um, this, by the time this airs, I will have already done it, but we have parent uh, conferences and parent resources, um, as well as message boards and all kinds of places where you can find community because uh, this is confusing and it is difficult, but uh, you don't have to figure it out alone. And we we learn best and we go further in community. So hopefully this has been a useful episode for you. Hopefully you learned something or got an insight. Uh, maybe you maybe got touched your heart. You've got somebody to call and just have a cup of coffee with. Um, who knows what, what your next step is. Um, but let love lead you. And uh, we hope to hear from you. So uh, if you like, send us an email. Um, our email address is the CLR podcast at gmail.com. Uh, be sure to give us those stars and likes and share this episode with your friends. And anywhere, anywhere that podcasts are happening, you should be listening to us if you can follow, subscribe, all that stuff. So thank you for tuning in. We have some more great guests coming up this month as we continue to dig into these intersections. And uh, we love you, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. He doesn't want any, I'm, like... I'm listening, but I need to go get some water and use the bathroom before we actually sit down and do this. So please continue talking. I can hear you, though. Okay. Um, <laughs> Darren's going to listen in while he pees. <laughs> and that's on the recording now. Thank you so much for that.